Phishing attempts are up, particularly against employees. What can organizations be doing to fight back against phishing? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm discussing the topic today with Daniel Ingvaldson. He's CTO with Easy Solutions. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Tom. So, Daniel, I'm talking with you about phishing because it really was a topic that came out in our 2013 Faces of Fraud survey. Now, what's interesting is that the FBI has warned of an uptick of phishing attempts against bank employees specifically, and our survey results support that trend. So my question is, what do you see in the marketplace when it comes to phishing, particularly against organizations' employees? Uh, sure, yeah. So we're, we're seeing the exact same thing. You know, phishing has been around for, for a long time. You know, the first documented phishing attacks uh, were, were really made public 12, 13 years ago. And they started uh, as the phishing attacks that most of us have seen, clogging up our inboxes, trying to steal login credentials from the banks that we actually work with or the email providers where we collect our email. We've seen, you know, the trend shifting to more of a industrial process around what, uh, what we call spear phishing, which is targeted phishing towards specific employees. This is totally different than what you see in kind of sending out a million emails towards consumers. But these attacks are focused on, on critical employees, executives of banks, um, uh, people that have specific information that the fraudsters want. And the vector is, is really the same. It's an email with a specially crafted message. But sometimes they're, they're more insidious and they're more advanced. Um, sometimes these attacks include attachments, sometimes in the form of an encrypted zip file to get past email filters. And the intent is to, is to use these, uh, these attachment types to drop malware onto machines to allow the fraudsters to remotely control those devices to perform attacks later on. Well, then let's talk about these. What do you find to be some of the most common phishing schemes that are targeting the bank employees? Well, you know, it's really about um, trying to to get specific access to to specific organizations. You know, phishing started as a as a way to to target massive organizations or massive populations. So we're seeing that that with so much information being you know available via social media, via LinkedIn, uh, via lots of different sources, it's actually quite easy for a fraudster to to pick an organization do some research, uh, collect information about email addresses, contact information for specific employees. It can be a branch manager, a teller, and construct all that information by simply surfing Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn. And the attacks are really about trying to, to, get, to get Trojan horse software, to get key loggers on those machines. And they're a little bit more difficult to detect because the actual nature of the messaging is um, there, is, there isn't as much volume. You know, a, a spear phishing attack can target 10 employees or 100 employees as opposed to uh, tens of millions of employees. So we're seeing that, that the use of remote access tools, keylogger attacks are really the preferred technique to get into these machines. And, and really at that point, all they're trying to do is gain control of that end user device so they can steal information, so they can use it as a, as a launching pad inside the organization to do something else. These kind of Trojans or, or remote access Trojans are also commonly referred to as, as advanced persistent threats or APTs. A whole different set of tools and technology and really security intelligence is required to detect these APT attacks uh, because they often leverage unknown vulnerabilities, what we call zero-day vulnerabilities. They leverage um, vulnerabilities in document files. So the attack can simply be a um, you know, some kind of PDF document or a Word document or an Excel document, uh, which contains some sort of code which can gain control of that device. And because the attack is, is focused and specific, um, it, it, you know, oftentimes there, there's a new avenue of social engineering or kind of, um, kind of some kind of, kind of trickery used 
to get a person to, to click on a link or click on a file. Sometimes these emails, they, they don't contain kind of the, the normal misspellings that you'd see in a, in a phishing attack focused towards your bank account. It might be a, a spoofed message coming from, you know, the, the IT director or the HR person saying, here's a new employee handbook, you know, here's a form I need you to fill out. And that actual email delivers the attack uh, and allows the fraudster to compromise that machine. Daniel, one of the things that sort of troubled me is that when you're talking about bank employees, they've been educating customers about phishing for years. And so really, they should know better. How is it that they're being exploited by these schemes? Well, this is one of the most interesting topics, I think, in, in information security and, and anti-fraud um, altogether. What we do in this industry is we, is we try to you know, build technologies to, to stop and mitigate attacks while also trying to raise awareness on, on how these attacks are, how they're successful in the real world. Um, but as I said in the, in the opening, you know, phishing's been around for over a decade. And every single phishing attack which is successful preys on some weakness, some level of ignorance about something, um, you know, perceived authority from the sender and attempts to um, create some kind of emotional response to, to force a user to do something which they, might not, which they might not normally do. And we see this again and again. And, and typically the education which is successful is the education to stop the last attack, not the next attack. So there, there's, there's lots of organizations out there that focus on, you know, really squarely on, on education. Um, but we don't think it's, it's the best approach because uh, these guys are they're super creative. They're always trying to think of a new way, you know, a new event, whether it's um, something in the news or some, some policy change inside a bank. Uh, any sort of event can be used uh, to, to create a, a, a new sort of phishing attack. Uh, we often see, um, in, at least in the, in the end-user phishing environment, if a bank is acquired by another bank, then the phishers will exploit that situation by sending out, you know, some sort of email or some sort of question uh, to provide new information about the acquisition and, and information about their account. All they have to do is verify their password. Uh, so there's, there's really an infinite number of attacks. So, you know, bank employees, I think, have, um, you know, they're, they're, they're certainly less susceptible to these sorts of attacks because they are within the enterprise setting so that they, they are, they're generally more educated than, than the normal consumer. But there's still the challenge of, of, of them dealing with um, a particularly clever attack, which is specially crafted to their environment, um, and, and what's happening on a day-to-day basis within the bank, within the branch. So given the evolution of the attacks, what do you find to be the most effective solutions for both detecting and preventing these schemes from succeeding? So what we do and in, in what I think the industry tries to do is tries to combine uh, education with technology. Uh, we feel that, that education you know, in and of itself is not an effective countermeasure towards phishing. As long as attackers can attack banks, can attack uh, end users, with impunity. They can attack them. Uh, they're generally not held at risk. They don't go to jail very often. Attacks are, are very inexpensive to, to launch. Um, then we're going to continue to see these attacks. So what we try to do is we try to think about the situation in, in economic terms. You know, how do we make uh, these attacks more expensive? How do we make it less lucrative for the attacker to, to go after uh, certain banks? We do uh, you know, many different things in order to layer defenses to make the banks that, that we work with less attractive to, to the bad guys. One really key mechanism there is is to limit the effectiveness of the attack once it's launched. Um, and it's really important for us and it's important for our customers to make sure that when attacks are launched, and they inevitably will be launched, that the lifespan of those attacks is not very long. Uh, so we focus a lot of our efforts on proactive detection for phishing attacks and then, and then very, very quick mitigation of those attacks, usually under four hours. It's quite easy to translate time into, into financial outcomes for the bad guys. If they launch an attack towards a, a large bank and they target you know, 9,000 employees internally, all those employees are not going to click that link at the same time. 
if we can actually take down the infrastructure uh, behind that attack, uh, it could be uh, you know, a hosting provider in a different country, some kind of drop site where the stolen passwords end up. Uh, if we can dismantle that infrastructure before the, the, the actual population that's targeted clicks that link, then we're providing a, a real benefit to, to those customers. So really it's a combination of, of education, which we think is important, but, but not really the, um, you know, the, the silver bullet as it's sometimes seen, but effective countermeasures to, to limit the effectiveness of attacks once they're launched. Well, Daniel, let's talk about easy solutions. What have you done to help organizations to curtail phishing activity? You know, dealing with phishing is, is a challenging problem. You know, there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of attacks every year. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of brands globally that are, that are, that are targeted. You know, the first phishing attacks have, have focused on, on banks, financial services organizations, and email providers. And really, it's, it's morphed into, into kind of a cyber crime category, which attempts to monetize any sort of data which can be stolen online. So we see phishing go after retail, you know, go after travel and leisure sites, go after any sort of site you can imagine where, where login credentials or data can be, can be bought and sold. Um, so since, since about 2012, you know, we've focused on, on improving our ability to proactively detect phishing attacks. Uh, and, we, and we detect uh, approximately between 70 and 75% of attacks which, which target our customers proactively. And what that means is that, is that we detect the attacks before our customers do and before our customers and clients do. Uh, and that's really a, a, an important distinction, an important definition for us. Uh, we feel that if our customers are detecting attacks before we are, then we're not doing our job. In addition to the proactive nature, and I guess related to the proactive nature, the more proactive we are, that really the, the faster we, we can detect phishing attacks, uh, the less money or the less monetization the bad guys uh, can extract out of each attack. So if, if we reduce kind of the, the average industry response from about you know, 23, 24 hours for the lifespan of a phishing attack, down to about three and a half hours where our average is, uh, we can save our customers you know, tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes up to $20,000 per attack. Uh, and that really adds up because a lot of the brands out there are dealing with you know, 10 or 15 attacks per day, kind of a sustained approach. And also, the, in, in addition to kind of the, um, the kind of tactical or, or, or per incident benefit that we provide in, in reducing the, um, the lifespan of attacks, there's a cumulative benefit or, or a uh, deterrence uh, benefit of our service. If the fraudsters targeting you know, banks that we protect are seeing that the lifespan of the attacks which they're launching is a fraction of what they of what they would experience using other banks or targeting other banks, then typically they, they would move down the road and go to um, go to a different provider to try to have a more lucrative or more profitable attack. We've talked a fair amount about spear phishing. What would you say are the biggest differences for organizations between fighting phishing internally, spear phishing, versus attacks against their brand? Sure. So, you know, it's some of the same mechanics, some of the same attacks, the same techniques, the same social engineering. I think the pace of the attacks is different and the focus of the attacks is different. A, a lot of the external attacks, call them uh, consumer uh, or, or retail-focused attacks, are less sophisticated in their desires. What most of these attacks are designed to do is steal uh, credentials as quickly as possible, we, what we call account takeover in the industry. Uh, and typically, uh, those credentials aren't even used or leveraged by the person who steals them. They're typically sold on the black market and then used by other organizations to compromise those accounts and attempt to move money out of, out of the banks. You know, internal spear phishing is, is sometimes similar. Sometimes there is a, there's a fraudulent angle or kind of an online fraud angle um, in, in targeting uh, perhaps tellers or people uh, within the banks who are, who are processing or actually creating transactions. In those cases, it's, it's quite similar. When you move into the enterprise space, you get into uh, sort of a different environment when you have, when you have um, hackers or, or even state-sponsored hackers, which are 
targeting uh, large organizations to not, not steal money, per se, or not steal uh, access to accounts, but they're trying to steal IP, uh, intellectual property. That's a, that's a much, much more challenging uh, thing to deal with, when it, and it takes you really more into you know, enterprise security problems, um, overlapping internal security policies, inline or, or network-based anti-APT technology, which is looking for malware um, you know, being brought into the enterprise and, and, and functioning uh, as, as, a, as a root kit or a backdoor for people to, to gain access later. But there are overlaps across both of these use cases. We definitely feel that aggressively targeting the infrastructure behind these attacks is very important. Having a service provider, having someone on call to, to detect these attacks and dismantle them as quickly as possible helps to kind of control the bleeding or control the exposure once the attacks are, you know, are already in place. But the cleanup problem is, is more significant on the enterprise side. Once the malware is in the, is in the network, then it shifts more from um, kind of attack deactivation to more of um, you know, incident response forensics and trying to determine uh, what has been stolen, if anything, has there been an IP compromise, or are the hackers you know, still inside the enterprise network? Well, final question for you. As with so many things, it all comes down to risk management. So if you could offer advice to organizations, how can they best assess their risks of these phishing schemes we've talked about today? Well, you know, it's, it's important to, to, to always compare yourself to the, to the industry standard, or, or really the industry um, uh, mean, I guess you would say, the industry average. It's different in the, in the enterprise security space from the anti-fraud environment with respect to how organizations assess risk. In the enterprise security space, it's, it's obvious where you know, enterprise security teams are going to do everything they can to limit exposures, to limit the ability for malware to get into their networks, which could lead to catastrophic loss of IP. In financial services, it's a little bit different. You know, the, the banks want to be uh, ahead of the threat, but just slightly. It doesn't make sense to, to spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars to hit the wall of diminishing returns um, earlier in the process. You know, it's important for banks to, to control fraud in a, in a different way than you, you would normally see in an enterprise security space. It leads to a much more easy-to-compute ROI model when, when banks are looking for ways to, to leverage their resources, and their resources are always limited, but leverage the resources that they have to control or mitigate fraud to a certain extent. We recommend that, that our customers, either in the enterprise security space or the, the more, traditional, um, um, you know, more traditional financial services space, to leverage overlapping technologies, overlapping policies, educational programs uh, to, to fight against these sort of attacks uh, using different technologies. Uh, we, we feel that, that our technology uh, blends very nicely with email authentication using, using DMARC, for example, to, to filter email in mass on the way out and, and the way in to, 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 uh, to potentially targeted banks. And that's a very effective approach to, to limit kind of the, the overall volume of attacks, but then use, uh, use takedown technology and proactive detection technology to mitigate the attacks that do get through. Uh, so it's a constant battle. It's a constant kind of um, um, educational uh, problem inside the organization and the leadership of the organizations to assess what's happening compared to, to the latest trends and to, and to make sure that their resources are being deployed effectively. Very good. Well, Daniel, I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you. Great. Thank you. The topic has been fighting back against phishing. I've been talking with Daniel Ingvaldson. He's CTO of Easy Solutions. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.